Hello, I'm Trevor Smith and welcome to Audio Mission from Church Mission Society. This time we focus our mission lens on Asia and primarily Nepal. The astonishing growth of the church in Nepal has been well documented. Church Mission Society has got to know several of Nepal's homegrown mission partners over recent decades and we've been much inspired by them. Our sister society, Asia CMS, has a number of partners there, including two we'll meet today. Mark Berry, our community mission facilitator, attended a partners conference in Nepal earlier in the year and met Milan, who serves with the leadership training department of the National Church's Fellowship of Nepal. Milan told Mark how he came to be focused on encouraging leaders, one of our mission focuses at Church Mission Society, and some of the joys and challenges in doing this. Before I was a gangster and a drug user, but through the help of one of the evangelists uh, from Campus Crusade, uh, where I came to know about the Christ, but it, slowly when I started to attending church, uh, I found the, the, a vacuum, uh, a good leadership in the church, because I saw the, uh, the leaders in the church were very less educated, and they were not able to. Uh, you know, dig out the scriptures or not able to answer our questions. So I felt that our Nepali church uh, need a good uh, a formal training or informal training leaders in our church. So uh, I think that is the uh, time that God gave me the heart for the mission where in the future I can train pastors and leaders. How did you begin the journey to where you are? Tell me about the journey from that point to where you are now. So later when I, ke- when I did my Bachelor of Theology from India, so I was uh, known to the leadership training department of National Churches of Fellowship of Nepal, where the same organization was also engaged in pastoral training. So when I get to know them, so I, I, I was uh, accepted by them and I started my uh, mission journey with them uh, since from 2007 onwards. Can you tell me about your, your mission now? Uh, now I am engaged in pastoral trainings. So we have a residential training in the eastern part of Nepal for the church pastor and leaders for three months. And we also have a woman leadership training for the uh, pastors and the elders' wife. And same time I am engaged with the mentoring uh, pastors, the key leaders of the church in the western part of Nepal, where I travel uh, 14 hours by bus every two months. And same time my wife, she also engaged in mentoring the pastor and leaders' wife in the same place so she has been mentoring for last one year uh, so she has a two group and f- we have been engaged with this ministry since 2007 and now recently the God has given me the extra burden and passion to reach the unreached people group of Nepal and now I am uh, re- reaching the Tirki, the Mushahar community with the gospel. Do you think your background, your life before uh, Jesus found you uh, has given you anything special, anything new, anything important that you bring to your, your mission amongst people now? Maybe the, uh, maybe the transformation of life. Mm. So personally I was, because I, uh, I did not receive the Christ because of any you know, healing or some other things, but I, uh, I was uh, totally transformed uh, when I heard the gospel and when I attended the fellowship, I was slowly transformed. I think the transformation story in me is the great story of the Lord to the community. Um, What's been your greatest joy in, in the mission? My personal greatest joy in the mission is, you know, to reach 
uh, the people, especially you know, to the poor, marginalized people with the gospel, and same time to train the leaders, those who are not able to go their father studies or their theological studies, to reach them and train them uh, so that they will be a, a, a true instrument and and powerful instruments of God in their local churches. And what's the hardest thing? What's the, the greatest struggle for you? Uh, the greatest struggle is that I'm the very young leader and the place where I'm serving, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, quite uh, different than the far western or western part of Nepal. So easily the elder uh, leaders of different organizations or churches, you know, it's, hard, it's very difficult to get fit with them. I don't know because of the age variation or the experience variation. Uh, so that really gives a great challenge. Do pray for Milan and these challenges, as well as thanking God for the work he does. Mark Berry also met up with Manos Pradananga, who may be known to some of our supporters. Manos has been a long-standing local partner who heads up the leadership training department. Mark asked him about how his desire to train others came about. What was it that made you want to train others? I mean, you went to tra get trained yourself, but what was it that made you passionate about training others? You know, I was involved in uh, church ministry uh, in different uh, roles or different capacities. But then when I saw that uh, if we could train others, then they will train others. There will be multiplication, you know. And if you look at the church growth of Nepal, uh, you'll find in, in 60 years of time, there has been a, a rapid growth, you know. Uh, there were no presence of Christians 60 years ago. Uh, by now, uh, it is estimated that there is uh, 1.5 million Christians in Nepal. So the growth is, uh, is rapid. But when it comes to the leadership, uh, it is very slow. When it comes to the discipleship, it is very slow. So the, 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 there is a great need of uh, training uh, the pastors, training the leaders, and not only the training full-time pastors or leaders, but also the uh, lay leaders. When you started training women in leadership and ministry, was there resistance? I would say yes, there was resistance from a uh, few churches uh, because, uh, as you know, all over the world, uh, women uh, leadership and women in uh, ministries, uh, in certain ministries, are not accepted. But that happened with a few churches only. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would say uh, most of the churches, yes, uh, they accept it. And uh, basically, uh, of course, we do not uh, teach them that, you know, right after the training, you know, you will have to lead the congregation or, you know, you have to preach. We don't tell them that. But uh, definitely we, we encourage them to involve in ministries uh, that are accepted by your church. You see, if your church accepts you to preach, then you preach. Otherwise, if your church does not accept you to preach, then don't preach. In whatever capacities uh, you can, uh, you do the ministries. So, so, so that, is, that is our role we played, you see. But, but now, uh, because of the greater need, uh, many churches are being opened. Uh, open uh, to women, you know, they have allowed women to preach, to teach, and even to uh, lead. Earlier it was not so much open, but now it is uh, becoming more and more open. And so, just over a year ago, yes. there was a tragedy in Nepal that we know about, the earthquakes. Yes. How has that uh, affected and changed your calling and your mission? 
uh, uh, I would say that was the time until then I would say we were involved in so-called uh, uh, spiritual work only that means we were only involved and interested in uh, training but then when earthquake uh, came it, it it didn't simply shake uh, nepali uh, soil you know uh, but it it it, it shook our uh, vision also you know uh, we started reflecting on our vision uh, like you know what should be our response uh, to the present crisis and then we felt that yes this this is the time when we have to uh, love our neighbors not only with the words uh, but with with our works we have to love our neighbors and then we started uh, getting involved in relief work and we helped uh, nearly uh, 10000 people uh, with the uh, with the food materials we helped uh, nearly 200 uh, families with the temporary houses uh, with counseling and with other stuff uh, we helped the people in this uh, disaster so so uh, since the earthquake or after the earthquake there has been a shift uh, in 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 way of doing mission uh, it has uh, brought a, a kind of a paradigm shift in our mission so our mission or ministry has become more holistic now i would say Let's give thanks for Manoj, Milan and hundreds more passionate Nepali Christians sharing the love of Jesus in word and action and please keep them in your prayers. Finally, we join Mark in Nepal one last time as he chats with Eddie May who took part in our mission experiment stand at Big Church Day Out last year. One year on and she was just coming to the end of a short-term placement which had taken her to Bangalore in India and then to Kathmandu for a short time. Eddie told Mark about the beginnings of her call to mission and how it's changed her. As I grew up in my faith and it became kind of my own rather than just the faith of my parents or going to church because that's what I did on a Sunday. When as it started to become my own faith, I really had this sense of of wanting wanting to save the world. Um to the point where I asked my mum one day, I was like, "Mum, will you help me save the world, please?" Um and I'd already thought about <laughs> her response was, "Uh, yeah, okay." Um I'd already thought about having a gap year and had always had this kind of desire to travel not not for the sake of traveling but wanting to expand my bubble and be able to appreciate and understand the normals of other people outside my tiny little western bubble thinking about saving the world um realizing hmm me as Ellie Mae can't do it by myself but hey wait god already has and he has a lot better outlook on world saving methods than I do so actually walking walking in his footsteps um and serving with a love that leads people to god um sharing god's love is is the only way to truly save as much as improving someone's situation can so that's how i came to exploring mission and the more i read read about cms i was just like i i like this i i get it they and they get they seem to get mission and they seem to get me where i was in bangalore was a cafe called chai 316 um it's essentially a coffee shop ministry and kind of informal counseling center so we serve five flavors of chai at no price and students come in right from i think our youngest lad was about 14 15 through to kind of late 20s early 30s 
they came in, had tea and chatted. And the premise of this ministry is, is really building relationships um, and kind of how how discipleship and support and evangelism kind of comes organically from that and founded from those relationships. So you make, you form relationships with these guys, you know, you're, you're friends with them more than anything else. You chat about you chat about music and films, you chat about life, chat about family and studies, you chat about expectations, disappointments, you chat about faith, you chat about religion. Um, we had probably, I th- this is a very rough estimate, but about, I'd say about half Christians, but we also, the other half was kind of made up of Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, atheists, nominal Christians, which is I've grown to be as big an issue um, in South India as it seems to be in England. Um, and so just kind of the idea of being like walking through life with them. So, you know, I had girls that from when I knew them had went through breakups and they'd come in and cry and I'd pray with them and chat with them and just walk through life with them. And, mm. and you get to walk through the exciting things, the happy things. Um, and through that comes, you know, it comes organically to like looking at the Bible in those times of need and saying, okay, well, what does God say about this? And, and that discipleship, praying with them and supporting them in prayer. And I remember ringing one of my girls up one night and chatting with her for an hour and praying with her because yeah. I hadn't been able to see her in a little while. Um, and from that kind of more formal Bible study, we ran with various groups at various times. And that's really exciting, especially when you get people from other faiths that yeah. join in and do that. And we have we had a church service on a Sunday as well. And, kind of, and you have the counselling side of it that can come out of those deeper relationships. So it's been an exciting and varied <laughs> time. So if you yes. could sum up in you know, a couple of sentences, how has God changed you oh, in man. that time? Just a couple of sentences. <laughs> um, one of the biggest things I think, as I've gone on, I realised if, if if there's one thing I've learned in the last six months is that I can trust God because He loves me. And it sounds like a kind of a silly thing to say, and um, but I think it often often I found in the West, um, we're just kind of growing up you know, in normal life. We're told to trust God, and you know. Vicars tell you to trust God. Bible tells you to trust God. Parents tell you to trust God, and and you and you do. You know, when when you get to exams and you re- and you've can't you just don't have the capacity to do it by yourself anymore. Yes, then you kind of fall back on God, and He is He is good and He is trustworthy. But um, put in situations where I just have not been able to rely on myself in any way really because it's been so unfamiliar so new and so out of my control and actually my the distinction being I don't trust God anymore because because I'm told to but because I've learned and I've experienced that he loves me that's why I can trust him I don't I don't trust him because I have to I trust him because he loves me and he um I can rest in that and that's so that's so powerful and to learning learning to be loved by him actually and that coming from that ability to say yeah all right god let's do it (laughs) um i think that's one of the biggest changes i've seen it's fantastic to hear how god has been working in his life please pray for all those people who have started exploring their sense of calling through meeting our staff and volunteers at christian festivals this summer as part of our free indeed campaign now, with a closing reflective prayer exercise, here's Ian Adams, Mission Spirituality Advisor for Church Mission Society. Prayer in darkness, approaching winter. Here in Europe, in the autumn, 
The daylight hours become noticeably shorter and the time spent in darkness lengthens each day. This prayer exercise is about recognising times of darkness as being surprising places of God's presence and care, wherever in the world you live. If you can, spend some time in darkness, in your room or out in the open. Remain there for a while. If you're able to do so, allow the darkness to surround you and notice how you feel. Then, when you're ready, if it's safe to do so, light a candle or switch on the light or come back into a lit space and enjoy being in the light. The Gospel writer John was fascinated by the interplay of dark and light, seeing there a picture of God's presence in the world and concluding that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. You might like to repeat this simple prayer phrase at times during this prayer exercise, borrowed from John's Gospel. The light shines in the darkness. Ian Adams drawing this month's audio mission to a close. Please keep praying for all you've heard about and join us next time for more voices from God's global mission.